an odd time grunge hit about mortality. A tense situation turned laid back song. And a complex piece built on simple ideas. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school, Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. All right, folks, another Themes and Variation coming at you. We got a fun one for you today as we are breaking down odd time songs. We've got three tracks that break away from any routine time signatures, and joining me for this deep dive into some odd meters is my frequent co-host, Mihaly Lee, and drummer, producer, and educator, Joey Leffitz. Joey's collaborated with an impressive list of artists across genres, including Diane Coffey, Early Evil, Haley Nieswanger, Heltron Johnson, Hounds, Jarena DeMarco, and many others. Joey also happens to be a Soundfly mentor, so if you'd like to work with him or any one of our incredible mentors on a specific musical goal or project you've got cooking, head to soundfly.com to get started. Also happening in Soundfly World is, of course, our Summer of Synthwave Calm Trues Remix Contest. Remember, you have until September 17th to submit your remix of the unreleased Calm Trues track Dynetics, just like Panamint Mance did with this gem of a track. Fantastic music from Panamint Mance at panamintmance.bandcamp.com. To get the stems and full contest details, subscribe to soundfly.com. And if you'd like to take 20% off that subscription, feel free to use the discount code PODCAST in all caps. And that is just about enough out of me. So without further ado, let's get into the episode Odd Time Songs. All right, folks, another themes and variation coming at you. Mejia, you're joining this episode as per usual. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you, Carter? I'm great, and I am pleased to be joined by the one and only drummer, producer, and dear friend of yours and mine, Mejia, Mr. Joseph Joey Leffitz. Joey, how you doing? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us on this episode as we are talking odd time songs. Joey, I mean, I think that you're going to be very, I mean, I know that you are very well adept in these scenarios in terms of getting to odd time and feeling comfortable in odd time. Wait, what scenarios? Uh, The scenarios (laughs) of playing odd time signature music. (laughs) Uh, Which can be a little uncomfortable, you know, if you're a musician, composer, and you start dabbling into the the dark arts of odd time signatures. It can get a little bit uncomfy, but hopefully 
we can maybe illuminate some of that through some selections we've made today. But knowing what you both selected for this episode, though, were there any other songs that you thought about for odd time songs that we're discussing today? Other than the ones we chose? Yeah. Other than the ones you chose, yeah. You know what I thought of this morning was Contusion, the Stevie Wonder song. Oh. We probably all considered money because that's like the classic, like this is an odd time song, but it doesn't feel that way. I was going to do something Dave Brubeck, but Carter immediately was like, don't do Dave Brubeck. It's too obvious. Take five. Or something from time further out. (laughs) Ah. Because I always forget there's Time Out, but then there's the second album, Time Even Further Out. But I don't think, if I remember correctly, it's not that much further out, is it? (laughs) Isn't it still just like fives and sevens? Brubeck was not one for titles it was that wasn't his thing it was i think take five is a great title are you kidding me i agree i mean i think that you know we'll get into that i think in (laughs) in this episode when it comes to odd time do you have strong feelings about dave brubeck i don't know about i like him a lot but (laughs) i i don't i think like titles were not not titles are not any jazz composers thing they're just Uh, not well, I hey, I tell you what, I like Bill this Evans, whole song guess, called yeah, sure. Litany Against Fear. This is an instrumental track from Christian Scott. I think that's a fantastic title. It can mean whatever you want it to mean. There we uh, go. But Litany Against Fear in seven, I almost picked that. It's a beautiful song. Jazz instrumentalist with a great title for everything that they do. Christian Scott. There you go. There's one. Um, I get a bunch of other ones out there too, but I'm not. I'm yeah, not I'm just saying, run. I think Let, that more than any other genre, jazz has. There's well, a lot tough. of jazz players, players, a lot of jazz composers who aim for a clever title, whether or not it ends up that way. Yeah, but here's the deal like just throwing a number in your, like, oh, I wrote this in five, so it's called Take Five. That's. But it's That's, a pun, because take five is like, take a break oh, after, you, after you do this one, you know course. what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know what's what, actually sad is I've never realized that <laughs> yeah, until neither right have I now. Actually, <laughs> See, it's better than you thought it was. <laughs> yeah. That's does actually that really better? I guess yeah, it does, because you also better. picture okay. like, the way they used to record <laughs> but, after they like they do a couple takes, and Brubeck's like, hey guys, that was okay. great, take five. Take My five. opinion has been skewed by we all went to the same music school and in said music school, like anytime anybody wrote something in odd time, I swear, yeah, whatever time signature was it the track was in, that was going to appear in the title. Seven up, I remember. <laughs> up, oh, yeah. What time was what time signature was that in? Like, it, like <laughs> you know, like like it's just Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> I named this track. Like it's just I out think of control I just titled something. Like, I think because of that once I because I don't I don't jazz isn't really my thing, but I had to write jazz arrangements for my degree, right? And I think there there may have been once when I just put at the top of the chart, this is in seven period or something like that because I got so sick go. of the, that, the clever titles. That rips. That's cool. Punctuation. That is cool. That is, that is uh, commentary on the absurdity of odd time names. Let's listen to some music though, guys, uh, before right. I take us too far off the rails. Here's our first selection for the episode and it's going to be coming in hot. 
Folks, we are listening to Them Bones from Alice in Chains, the monster hard rock grunge, I would call it even, record, Dirt. Mm. You guys know what time signature we were just listening to? The whole verse is in? Sure do. I believe we were in seven. Is it? <laughs> seven. I think we were in um, seven. A couple things on, on this record. Uh, I don't listen to this stuff as much as I used to, but this record has kind of stuck with me forever. Rooster, Down in a Hole, like th- this record is huge. It was huge and is like still a big part of my listening habits. I've wanted to talk about this song for a long time. Of course, written by guitarist-songwriter Jerry Cantrell. So yes, the groove is in seven. Now, I saw some some thoughts that it was in seven, eight, and then I, I kind of think of it more as in four. Um, Joy, I'm curious your thoughts. I think that's kind of more arbitrary than anything, but I think of it as the big beats. If you listen to the kick drum pattern on this track and where it marks everything, when I'm thinking about there's two big quarter notes on beat one and then beat two, and then on beat five, there's like a five and pattern in the kick. I think of it... Instead of like, if I'm trying to break it down in seven, eight, I always think of the one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. But I think of that as being a, a cycle usually grouped into two bars. This to me feels like one big long bar. Uh, Joey, your thoughts there, if it's maybe seven, eight or seven, four. Well. Or does it I matter th- at all? I think it does matter. Mm. I mean, it also, like it can matter from a, if somebody were to try to write it out, it can right. matter in that standpoint. And then it can also matter... Where, if I'm not mistaken, in the chorus, the song goes to four. Yes. Mm. And it goes into one, two, three, four kind of thing. Right. With snare, snare on two and four. Because I would think of that as like the anchor to think about the rest of the song, I would think of it in seven eight instead of seven four. Okay, because I like that. So you have the constant pulse thing. So you have a constant pulse. So the eighth note That's stays the reason. same throughout throughout the the whole song. You know. Yeah, I was gonna say like the dividing line between when you put something in four four and two two, it doesn't feel applicable with seven for some reason. Yeah. You know? I also like don't feel like I really come across a lot of music. And maybe this is just anecdotal and just my own experience, but I don't come across charts written in two two. Like I yeah, well, I, it's like marches mostly, right? Where it's just like it's not like you have a strong and then like a slightly less strong on three situation. It's like strong beat weak beat strong beat weak and right that right kind of thing. Yeah, that doesn't. I don't. If it weren't for that change, I don't know how much it matters if it's in 7-8 or 7-4, depending on tempo, maybe. The thought right. for me is just that if I'm trying to grit, grit it out a little bit, I'm hearing the eighth note like much quicker probably than what yeah. I'm actually hearing the quarter note. And if I'm hearing the eighth note that much quicker, I'm trying to split what the actual verse is into two bars of 7-8. That's if I'm going... Like, there's a weird gap in the phrase of the riff mm-hmm. that makes it uncomfortable for me to grit it in 7-8. Mahe, is there anything that you do to feel comfortable in odd times like this? Yeah, well, when I think about odd times, I think primarily from an arranger standpoint, right? How can you make an odd time signature feel natural? And so it's things like, like 
these are guideline tricks, I guess, but like if you put some sort of recognizable tag in a part, like having a really active base part on the back half of the bar and then sustain like a heavy sustained note at the beginning, things like that can help people feel grounded and start to get comfortable and recognize when it comes back around. Yeah, that's the best answer I have for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that that's perfectly perfectly reasonable. I'm I'm down with that. Um I there's almost like a slinky mm-hmm. kind of quality to the guitar part of the riff. Uh a super chromatic line that's all it is, just like chromatic up, very tense sounding. It's like kind of off kilter, but the harmony then gets resolved in the chorus when, you know, rhythmically everything gets resolved to 4-4 and then harmonically you get some fuller chords and a little bit more like standard harmony happening. I think that it is easier to feel comfortable in some of these time signatures and styles like rock where you have expectations for the instruments. You know, like you expect to hear the kick on strong beats. You expect to hear a snare or a cymbal a lot of the times not on the strong beats. Right. So when you hear those little clues, mm-hmm. they give you some context for what's going on. Whereas like when you hear something in like five or seven, that's a classical piece, it can sometimes be easier to get lost just because you don't have those same elements playing those exact roles. Anymore. Totally. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Um, yeah. I do want to just touch on so Jerry Cantrell on writing the riff. And I, I love this when it comes to odd time stuff. He said, uh, I don't really know where that comes from. It just comes naturally to me. I could sit down and figure it out. But what's the use? Off time stuff uh, is just more exciting. It takes people by surprise when you shift gears like that before they even know what the hell hit them. Uh, it's also effective when you slow something down and then slam them into the dash. A lot of Alice stuff <laughs> is written that way. So I think that it gets shaped into something intentional where it's in odd time. But I don't think Jerry Cantrell is sitting at his guitar being like, I'm going to write a song in seven right now. It's just like, here's a riff that I really like. And then it just happens to be in seven. I totally agree. And I also, yeah. just to that point, it's like, I feel like w- when discussing odd times, like approaching it, approaching writing something like this thing that I'm about to write has to be in seven is probably less likely to, to sound natural. And like, you know, rather than just saying, I'm just going to let this music fall out of me and like whatever time signature it's in, like that's yeah. the time signature it's in is maybe a more organic way to think about it. Do you mm-hmm. both think, though, that there needs to be some time spent writing in those odd time signatures to get comfortable with it and then maybe let it come up organically? Or it's like, you know, That's what's probably... the point? What's the point in anything? Just, just well, write well, it. Well, let's not go there. But, uh, <laughs> I, uh... Like, why not, I guess, is my answer. But at the same time, no. Like, I think... It seems like we're all in a similar place. We're forcing anything to be in any particular time signature. Like, unless you're doing something intentionally academic, it feels like a weird move. Whereas, you know, there's styles like folk and hip hop and stuff where like beats get dropped just because that's what the song needed. And it just kind of happened. Right. And that's, that's when it works most interestingly to me. But I guess with that said... If you don't spend some time like either practicing or writing right. within that framework, then it will be harder to sort of like like be fluent in that and therefore yeah, so I guess there's sort of a balancing act. Like you do need to 
get the reps in like with anything else, but it, I don't know. So. But if it's what you're listening to, there then it'll right. come out too. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's harder though that's in odd time. Like if you're if you because you, you might not know that it's in seven, you might just listen to it like that. Just I think before discovering what odd time stuff actually was, I just would I would subconsciously know that something was off. You know, it just didn't right. feel. I couldn't count it the way that I normally would. So that that's weird until you get a grasp and understanding of like what the subdivisions are and like how yeah also how you can manipulate it though because like you can if you split an odd time measure right in the middle bar a bar five bar seven that can get really weird and really interesting in a hurry for Um, sure have you never accidentally like screwed with a form though in a piece like never accidentally just realized after the fact that there's a bar of two for no reason in a song that's in four yeah, no, definitely. Just because, like, that's but, what the melody needed. Yeah, I think that that's, like, especially, like, if you think about songs we all knew when we were younger, before we were picking things apart, and we were just <laughs> listening to music, and it's, like, you might not know that it's, like, oh, it's switching from 7-8 to 4-4, four, four, but if you are just sitting there, you know what to expect. You know what's coming. You know that this change is going to happen, maybe... Right. You might not know that it's one eighth note less time as the next measure, but you know that, like, if you know it, you know it, and like the intuition, you might be able to play it without even knowing what it is. You know, Joe, you touched on something that, like, you like sarcastically, but I think it's very real. Just like picking apart music, and it can sometimes tarnish it a little bit. And I think that this for me is an example of like learning more about music. It lightly tarnishes music that I used to love, and and still love. I still love this track. Let me get that started. I wasn't being, uh, no, I wasn't no, 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 being but... sarcastic. <laughs> I'm being very serious. <laughs> yeah. um, no, that's true. That That's true. I wanted to give you the benefit of the doubt, but I appreciate you uh, taking us all the way there. Nobody knows. It sounds like um, my voice sounds exactly the same. <laughs> but this, yeah. so the guitar solo, it's a fantastic solo. But now hearing like just incredible improvisers in odd time stuff and having like freedom in, in mm. odd time freedom to play through measures play over the bar line that's the only thing about this track now that looking back is like the guitar solo starts and ends like every phrase on a very obvious spot doesn't flow over the bar at all it's just like riff stop like idea stop and doesn't go over which is fine that's totally fine um but that's the one thing i bet that like for me personally when i listen to like amazing improvisers i hear more of a command of the form and the style and everything if you're able to flow effortlessly through time and space and everything like that there's some level of knowing your listener there too right like i think making the downbeat really clear in metal feels more logical than it does in jazz sure but like that's the rhythm section's job to me in this so like guitar player do your thing if you're the improviser like you you need to have freedom and and not go on and and the rhythm section the rhythm groove is incredible and impeccable on this track um yeah but i will say lane staley's vocal the end of each verse does kind of float over the bar so there is a little bit of that still um but that that just to me is a really clear okay, do they, do they feel comfortable in this time? Because it's really, 
first time you play in seven, it's like, I'm going to play on beat one. And then you're absolutely <laughs> going to in some way set up beat one of the next measure. And <laughs> it's just going to be so gridded like you wouldn't believe. And it's really hard to get comfortable flowing. I guess, Joey, do you have any thoughts on gaining that that comfort? I guess it's the, the short answer is you just got to keep doing it and, and you'll eventually get there. <laughs> well, but just any I thoughts mean, like in terms of feeling all time and flowing. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, I mean, just also to your point about, you know, like in this song that we're listening to right now, I I do agree that it's like, it needs to be just kind of like, obviously in seven, not mm -hmm. just for the listener, but just like it gives it that heaviness and it yeah. gives it mm -hmm. that momentum. But uh, that's not really like, to your question about how to get comfortable in odd times. Um, I That's mean, just in life, by the way. How to get how to get comfortable <laughs> in odd times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you in in terms of like being really free to improvise, I mean there's I think it just comes down to straight up like rhythmic exercise. Like if you can I mean, not to get too into it, but you know, like throwing on a metronome and being like, Hell Okay, yeah. this is in seven and I'm gonna I, I'm gonna play like I'm gonna I'm gonna play a phrase in seven and I'm going to land on one every measure. Now I'm going to land on two every measure. Now I'm going to land on the end of two every measure and like setting yourself up um, with just sort of like just creating little exercises to keep yourself entertained. And then I think if you do that kind of stuff enough, which can be kind of tedious, um, eventually it becomes a little bit more of second nature and you can kind of stop thinking so much about it and just be flowing over the stuff. And like, I don't think most anybody if anybody will ever be able to flow over seven or five the same way they can over four like everything we listen to in the world is in four like it's it's supposed yeah. like there's something about it that uh is always going to feel more natural um but i think you know so doing some rhythmic work can yeah. help to make the odd times feel a little more that way Seven days was all she wrote A kind of ultimatum note She gave to me Joey, what do we have the pleasure of listening to? Uh, we are listening to Seven Days by Sting. Just looking at the title, I would have assumed this was in seven. <laughs> um, I was going to say. But it's not. Joey, what, uh, what are we dealing with here? We're not in seven, deceptively. We are in five. Love that. Yeah, dude, take us take us away on this tune. Uh, I've played it a handful of times recently, and it's it's super fun. Uh, it stays in five the whole time, so once you're kind of locked into the groove, that's what's going on. Don't have to worry about switching to four. I also love. I think it's a great song harmonically, especially when they get to the chorus. Vinny Caliud is on drums. Legend. That's what I thought. I I was gonna ask you who's on drums, but then I was like, it's got to be Vinny Caliud, and sure enough. I didn't know this album too well until recently. Somebody was like, oh, you should check that out. And then I did, and I was like, this sounds like Vinny. And then I looked it up, and it was. <laughs> it's just great playing. and I mean, it's not a crazy, complicated tune, aside from the fact that it's in five. Maybe it is. I don't know. I haven't learned it on keys. It might be complicated. <laughs> but uh, Harmonically, 
not super complicated, but the chorus with the diminished passing chord. Yeah. So sick. Love that. Always. It's tension release, tension release, tension release. And it flows really well through through five. You having played this song a lot, what was the difficulty level in, in learning this song in this groove? I'd say pretty low as a drummer, uh, because I mean, I think it also depends on one's own experience with playing odd times. It might be challenging if it's the first odd time song that you've ever learned. Yeah. And again, I I personally think that five is more challenging than seven. And I've had that conversation with enough people that I feel like more people might lean in that direction also. But again, mm-hmm. could could just be my experience. But once you learn the tune or once you get comfortable in that five, I don't think it's a particularly hard song, at least on drums. I'm not saying I can just sit down and play it as well as Vinny did, but it's definitely, you know, it's like, it's one, two, three, and then on four, you've got the snare, and that's sort of the feel the whole time. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Once you get comfortable with that, it's just a matter of, you know, like shaping the song, which is what drummers have to do on any song, regardless of the time signature. That's where the difficulty is going to come, aside from being in five. Can I ask you a question? You can. Does five feel closer to four or to six for you? Interesting. That is a good question. I'm inclined to say it feels closer to six, but yeah, I too. don't know that I... Like, I There's yeah. no justification. It just does. Yeah. <laughs> I've never even thought about... That just blew my mind. I, I have no... Because seven... <sighs> it feels like you're one beat shorter more than it feels like you're one beat over for some reason. And to that point... If you're listening to something in 11 or playing something in 11 and it's like six plus five, for example, it might start to feel pretty natural, at least to the listener. It might be a pain to play it, but like uh, similarly, I think seven, eight feels very similar to its relative four, four. Like once you're kind of in there and locked into that, like what makes things hard in, in odd times can also just be where the split in the bar is. Yeah, totally. If you're playing in, let's say, five, since this is the song, I think it's going to be easier to play a 3-2 kind of feel on drums than a 2-3 yeah. feel. It's going to feel more natural to the average listener. The fact is over six feet ten Might instill fear in other men But not in me I've never thought about what this song, what it's actually about. Yeah, oh, I don't know. About? I just like the groove. What's the song about? <laughs> Sting versus other romantic uh, possibility for his love interest. And the other guy, oh. he says a lot of things about yeah. him. He's over six foot ten. Oh, he sounds like he, he could beat Sting up, but he's yeah. not very smart and stuff. <laughs> it's like it's such a cool laid back sound, but it's like love rival song. <laughs> IQ is no problem here. We won't be playing Scrabble for her hand I feel. I need that feeling. There's like a lot more rhythmic energy. Yeah, going. that's right. So what's going on there, Joseph? Sounds like somebody was like, we need to make the second verse feel different. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> 
And they were like, uh, okay, we'll like do this. And then they did that. But um, so the bar is still split up the same way, three, two, but it's more of sort of an eighth note double time compared to the first verse feel. So instead of da, 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 you get more of a decker, 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 time for his tea. Does it bother me at all? My rival is Neanderthal. It makes me. It does feel like the hi hat's more active and the guitar part is more like it's just more active in subdivisions, right? But I got a question for, for you, Joey. Like when you're playing through something, I think a lot of people count like something like this, they'll count it in five. They might just group it in, in three and two. I know some drummers subdivide things like way down when they're counting or, or just trying to feel a groove. Is that something that you do? Or are you thinking of bigger beats? I mean, I try to think of like an underlying rhythm more than counting numbers. Yeah, like that. Well, let me let me ask you this then. What's the underlying pulse that you're trying? Is it in eighth notes? Is it 16th? For this, I'm feeling like two dotted quarter notes and then two quarter notes. Like one, two, But then like the risk like of that. that is that you start to just play only that and it can start to feel really yes. like square. Ideally, you get comfortable enough with a piece of music that you're not thinking, like you're just hearing the song like if i can be listening to the melody of a song and only thinking about that and think and just listening to the music around me that's ideal regardless of the time signature but yeah i'm gonna count or i'm gonna think of like sort of an underlying rhythm or clave thing going on to keep me like anchored if, if need be but like that's a necessity it's not necessarily helping me play more musically you mm. know it's just there to keep me from messing up do you have like a, do you have particular that. songs that maybe were like for me when I think five and try to remember how that feels, there's a rudder piece. That was the first odd time thing I ever played. So I ah, hear that melody, yeah, you know, and it's a piratey melody. I hear like every time I think five. Wait, Rudder? Rudder? Is that a band? That no, 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 no. It's a composer. Yeah, it is. is there oh. a band called Rudder? That's no. really funny. Oh, damn! I thought you were. I, I was like blown away. I thought we were talking about Tim LaFave, no. Chris Cheek, Henry no, Hay, about... Keith Carlock. <laughs> I'm talking Rudder. about John Rudder, I believe. Uh, John. Damn. John Rudder. <sighs> All right. Well, I'm inserting a Rudder track here as well because people need to hear Rudder. Rudder is sick. I mean, I got pretty comfortable playing odd times, especially in college when it's like you're playing for everybody's project and everybody's bringing in, you know, a thing in five or in seven. You're just like, I don't stuff. even know anymore. Like, and like, uh, <laughs> and so, um, I think I can confidently say that the first song I probably ever learned in an odd time was probably Money on Bass when I was in middle school. Awesome. Yeah. And I probably didn't even know that it was in an odd time signature. I doubt my teacher even knew it was in an odd time <laughs> signature. You know, he just wrote the tab out and I just knew the song. Yeah. This is sort of speaking to what I was saying before where it's like I knew the song. I knew what it sounded like. I didn't know it was in five, but I could play it in five. I just didn't know I was playing it in five. 
Or at least that's my memory of it. Maybe I totally did know, but who knows? So <laughs> I know my dad taught me money, and I can't remember if he. Do you mean the song or I like? Think, I just think generally he finance. Is that, he taught is me that about, just a, like, about finance. Way to say well. my dad gave me financial freedom. Yeah. My dad taught me money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, anyways, anything. I did have one last question for you, Joey, as as a drummer, and you kind of. I think you may have even talked about this earlier, but. Do you have a favorite time signature to play in? 4-4, four, four, baby. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah. Favorite time signature? Favorite, favorite odd, odd time? time uh, <laughs> I just think... question, though, too. It's like, I, what's your No, but I'd be like, but is it different? It's interesting. Like, this is why the show is about perspectives. Because I feel like Joey, as a drummer who's played in a lot of odd times, it's almost yeah. like offensive to be like, do you have a favorite thing to play? You know, because for him, that's a bigger world. No, it's definitely not offensive. It's just like, <laughs> there's so many things besides the time signature that make yeah. something fun or not fun to play. And the time mm-hmm. signature is one of like, you know, it's just one part of a pie graph of other things. So I don't know. I mean, the best answer I can give you, which isn't that great, is that uh, when I was playing a lot more odd times, I was most comfortable in seven. Like mm. there was a point in college yeah. where I literally was like, I can float over seven the same way I can float over any other. T- I don't even know if I feel that way now uh, in terms of my playing because I'm playing so much less stuff like that. On that note, why don't we listen to oh, um, yes. our last selection for the episode, Mejia's Pick. We don't have to listen to very much of this. <laughs> I listened to the whole thing earlier. Yeah, no, yeah, so did I yeah, several times. Yeah. <laughs> that that was going to be my question. Did you listen to the whole song? And I figured that Joey would. I listened to about a minute. <laughs> Here we go. What do we have the pleasure of listening to? You always use the word pleasure. And I yeah, I do think that polite. listening to this is a positive experience, but pleasure feels like the wrong word for some reason. But we are listening to uh, study number 41C by Conlin, Conlin Nancaro or Nancaro <laughs> or Nancaro. I heard three different pronunciations in one radio documentary, so I'm not exactly positive. I have a question. Yeah. <laughs> did you feel or did you think that the theme was odd songs as opposed to odd time songs? Ooh, bird. Good one, Carter. Uh, hey, no, it was a sincere, <laughs> sincere question. Um, going yeah, into this, though, sure. very curious because I know you're going to have lots of awesome things to say about this song. I don't even know how like how it exists. Allison like Chains. how? Yeah. <laughs> her name was Alice in Chains. I love her. Go on. Um, How this song exists. Yeah, like, that is a lot of what I'm going to talk about. Sweet. Let's just kick off right away with this is 41C. Carter, you said that you listened to some of it. Yeah. Joey, you listened to all of That's it. Right. Thank you. I listened to all of it a couple of times. Did either of you listen to 41A or 41B at all? <laughs> no. Would that have provided some context for C? It does provide some context, but only if you're. Well, it provides a lot of context, but only if you're paying attention. Uh, okay. Which I do think is the state that you need to be in to appreciate music like that that. was the thought i had when i listened to this was like 
you know, this is cool as like, this is like a type of art that you have to yeah. be super engaged with. You can't just like, ooh, I'm driving up the five. I'm going to throw this on. And like, that's not the vibe. <laughs> I don't Very know LA thing though to do too. Like I'm going up the five. <laughs> we don't live there anymore, Joey. <laughs> I'm like on this kick with this sort of thing lately on the podcast, but like music whose function isn't necessarily just to be passively enjoyed. Right. Which is an interesting topic to me because I've only recently come around to even considering that sort of thing, music. Like once upon a time, I'd be like, oh, not that long ago, John Cage's interesting performance art. I don't know that it's quite music to me. Right. But I think a lot of it boils down to like, what is the purpose of music? Actually, you know, big question, but I'm going to throw that. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I know. (laughs) What is the purpose of music? I'm not prepared to answer that question. I mean, I should. That's okay. Well, I just encourage you to sit with it, even if you don't have well, an answer during the My this answer recording. in this moment would be because I think it would change all the time. I don't have the mm-hmm. ans- the like very eloquent. Oh, the purpose of music is to to. <laughs> I don't think that enter exists. The soul Anybody of the human like that would just be trite, almost condescending. I think it changes. I think it's very personal. If you're a creator of music, it's very different than if you're a listener and your answer is going to change. Okay, so what are some of the purposes of music to you? I think the purposes of music are often whatever the creator of the music has in mind. Like, it's not mm-hmm. like we can't say, oh, well, like this is how it makes me feel. So this is the purpose of this track. It's like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the purpose of the track might be just somebody trying to get some streams, something that shallow. You know, I don't totally. think I don't think that's the case for this, though, because they probably would have taken a different approach. But uh, <laughs> I mean, he's not unknown. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know who's listening to this by themselves regularly, but somebody seems to be. <laughs> somebody's yeah, somebody's feeling it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so to me, obviously, music can function as like something to be enjoyed historically is something that people use in worship or like record keeping and and all that right but i think overall music is a medium through which we can learn about ourselves and also cope with just existence you know in one way or another oh man this type of music to me especially in the case of this composer is it shows music's ability to function as a medium go with me here through yeah. which we can explore order chaos patterns and like existence like it, it's mysterious and interesting that this can exist yeah and that like by writing this this music and we'll get into that in just a second i promise but like by writing this he was learning stuff that he wasn't always expecting yeah, I believe to. that it's also like taking a super bold stance like whether you yeah. love it or not it's like i mean i am not super familiar with music in this vein in general like the super avant-garde yeah me neither honestly but clearly this composer is going like this is what i'm making like this is not for everybody this is like for if you are gonna rock with this and if you're Mm -hmm. not then you know where you can you know like later so i think that's pretty (laughs) cool you know absolutely so just in listening to what i did listen to of this track (laughs) <laughs> um it was hard to find any grid to find yep. in odd time so that that's my main question for you is yeah where are we rhythmically what is going on <laughs> with the odd time and uh yeah take take us there or if you want to talk about something else right now too of course but. i mean that's what we're here to talk about right so my short answer is i don't know this so <laughs> comforting i know so this piece is interesting because it's 
It's a balance of complexity and like really simple ideas. I know it doesn't sound that way, but let me try to make that make sense. So during this and most of his career, Conlon, uh, I'm going to go with Nancaro. That's the pronunciation that feels natural to me. He wrote for Player Piano, which is, you know, it's the original form of like recording. It's a precursor to MIDI. In some ways, it's a precursor to sampling, if you think about it, mm-hmm. you know, because you're moving more like in shapes rather than thinking about standard notation kind of stuff. So while scores exist, I wasn't willing to spend $40 or whatever to have one <laughs> rush shipped to me. But I did look at the excerpts I could find and read up on other people's opinions and that kind of thing. But because it's written for player piano, he didn't necessarily need to have a time signature in mind. Like back when you had to like learn how to read music or whatever, and you'd have a staff with no bar lines. Creating piano roles isn't too unlike that. Like you don't necessarily have a need to have a grid is what I'm getting at. That said, what these pieces did have was, um, or did use, was tempo ratios, uh, which I was not familiar with. I don't know what that is. So this is a new concept to me, too. But my understanding is that, well, most of these studies are canons, too. So (laughs) let's go there real quick. A canon for listeners, um, it's a traditional form of composition, actually one of like the simplest ones. I like writing canons. To me, it's like one of the closest things to, um, to finding right answers in music. Like writing a canon, you have sort of correct choices, which is empowering when you're learning something. In a traditional canon, you have like a voice and it plays a melody. And then shortly after, another voice comes in and imitates that melody, whether it's exactly the same or slightly different. Um, but in a traditional sense, both voices will be moving at the same tempo. And Caro's work, the voices are moving at different tempos. And that's where the idea of these tempo ratios comes into play. Yowzers. Dang. That already sounds really complicated. And if you were trying to read it down or play with someone, it could feel really complicated. But when you think about like sampling or like drum machines, uh-huh. it's not that much of a stretch, right? Yeah, like right. there is something very natural to that. You know, like you copy a measure of music and then you copy a measure and a half and you paste them not realizing you've done that or whatever. Or um, like even some like Dilla stuff where you get these parts because they're sampled that don't necessarily fit together in like this perfect grid-like way you expect. Right. But because of that, you get something like you get these moments that you would not have gotten otherwise that are really interesting and kind of irrational. Yeah. Kind of a stretch, but I think that's interesting that that's sort of happening here. He took it a step further, though. <laughs> Not only do you have tempo ratios happening in this music in this piece and some of the others, you have tempo ratios happening where the ratios are using irrational numbers in math, which I like had to try to draw on everything from my high school memory to make sense of, and I still couldn't really do it. Dang. The tempo in 41A. One of the voices, the tempo is moving at one over the square root of pi. Oh my god. And the other voice is moving at the square root of two thirds. Uh, 
Oh, all right. Just, yeah. <laughs> Shut it all down. <laughs> and then 41B has, has an equally complicated, <laughs> irrational tempo. And then 41C, which is what we're listening to, is basically 41A and 41B being played in tandem by two separate player pianos. So the tempo ratios you get there, the easy way to say it is it's 41A to 41b <laughs> it's like it's so con- like i like i learned to read music when i was four i pulled up excerpts of his writing and i was like i don't know what to do with this like if you put this in front of me i would not know what to yeah do. that's that's crazy and i love that <laughs> i mean that it kind of feels i don't know it's like it it feels like it's almost like touching on a different medium like it's obviously yeah. music totally. but it's like super theoretical and just artsy through and through in its thinking of like i'm not gonna write it even like i know, you, know oh, yeah, you came here for music yeah you came here. <laughs> too bad but the interesting thing with him is it's not that's not like it, it isn't as arbitrary as it sounds so i don't know specifically where these numbers came from but i do know that he got a lot of them from the worlds of like engineering okay so the ratios mean something somewhere to humanity the idea of applying that to music and just kind of seeing what happens is really interesting to me too. I guess he was influenced a lot by Henry Cowell. You know, like frequency ratios, like pitch frequency stuff, where it's like notes that are high have higher frequencies right. and notes that are low have lower frequencies. Cowell's work took that idea and applied it to rhythm. Wow. All these things exist in music. This is just like a further <laughs> version of that that my brain cannot fully comprehend. That's crazy. That's intense. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of ranting. How are you guys doing right now? Oh, <laughs> no, I'm doing great. Uh, look, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> learning. I'm learning. I didn't make yeah. it all the way through this track because it was like nightmare fuel music to me. Like I, I imagine <laughs> that's what is played in my nightmares. And uh, I didn't want to live through that um, much longer. But, but you listen for those moments, right? And that's kind of... So to me, what makes this sort of thing potentially enjoyable to listen to is... Um, Having the awareness potentially that, enjoyable. Well, I mean, depending, who, and we can get into that because I think jazz is potentially enjoyable to listen to. Um, actually, let's talk about that for a second. So, you guys are both very well versed in jazz, and I would argue that the majority of the general population, them listening to jazz, doesn't feel that far off from you guys listening to this piece. Uh, um, I think. Well, I guess I would. I would just say to that that. Jazz being a pretty broad term, I, it sure. it would depend. It's like I could put on kind of blue for yeah, like a two year old, and they'd probably be start <laughs> bopping their head. If I put the sure. you hard know, bopping like, their head, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, hard bop is like, bop is like a good example uh, though. That's the kind of stuff where I'm like, if you put that on, yes, not everybody's gonna be able to latch on to it enough to enjoy it. True, like it might just sound like noise. True, right. you might not enjoy it, but like. There is harmony and melody there. Eh? Like in That's so here too, of... though. In some ways, even more so, because he's writing traditional canon. Yeah. So if you're looking at the melodies, 
they actually, like his melodies actually make more sense than a lot of modern music. Cause it's like, it's good counterpoint. They're like on counterpoint. paper, they're, but like, or if you isolate them, but because of the way they're happening and, and the way that your brain has to process it, I want to see this forty dollars. I don't. I, I think it's a lot like <laughs> listening to certain types of jazz, you guys. I really do, and I think the reason that you guys enjoy forms of jazz that, like, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying though. But it's not. Well, we are. No, it's pretentious is pretending you understand something, right? Mm. You guys can appreciate things other people might label pretentious because you actually have that foundation. So the stuff that your ear picks out and those moments of joy were like, you know, like if somebody plays through the bar line. That means something to you okay. guys that it doesn't mean. Yeah, to well, I'll, I, I will agree that there's something about like some stuff is harder to listen to, but if you give it that extra attention and you learn about whatever that thing is, then you're gonna get something out of it. Versus In context. Yeah, I'm know. gonna try and pit another analogy against this analogy, and I, I'm I'm <laughs> this is totally off the rails here, but I'm gonna try my best. So I think that let's say I go to a nice restaurant and I, and I order a, a very nice steak, right? But I don't really know the cuts or anything. It just comes out. I eat it. It tastes good to me. That's the end of it. But if I'm a Sorry. really good chef and I've maybe learned how to create a better steak or whatever, this is terrible analogy, but, uh, then maybe I appreciate it on a higher level. That's what I think you can do with jazz. I can still, I don't need to know the nuts and bolts. This to me is like pulling some animal like you know we haven't we only know like maybe 10 or 20 percent of species on the planet because of the deep sea like there's so much stuff pulling something out of the depths that we've never even seen before or known before had That's anything not to true, do though but but the end the end result it, this is such an interesting argument because the end result is what is created in this piece is something that I probably won't ever listen to again just because it's so <laughs> But would you go see it done live? No. <laughs> I mean, okay. is it like some types of jazz? Sure, but like we'd have to dig pretty deep to find jazz that sounds as like out as this, this is like sounds. Coltrane's this is so, interstellar space so, like level. I th- I'm just saying, I think the experience of the three of us listening mm-hmm. to Conlon and Caro's compositions mm-hmm. It's probably what it's like for friends of ours who consider themselves non-musical listening to Giant Steps. That I agree with, but there's... It's still, still, like, I... uh, I, See, I'm in a tough spot. I'm in a tough spot because I would say there's still stuff that you can pull out of that, but that's me saying having studied that stuff. Exactly. it helps supposedly before he died his his uh, third wife asked him what she should do with his piano rolls after he died like his compositions and he said burn them oh yeah. i was gonna make that as a joke and then i was like that's not yeah. very funny i don't know what the function of music was for him but i, I don't think he was like kidding himself like thinking like this is stuff everyone will love listening no, to, no. listening to you know <laughs> that's what's cool about I, it you may not like, like it, uh-huh. but clearly not about <laughs> appealing to the most people possible i mean it's experiments right <laughs> yeah like we think of music as being primarily something that you want to listen to but the idea of it being something that makes you think or a controlled way to find happy accidents that's musical and interesting <laughs> Thank you. 
it is indeed time for my favorite part of the show. <laughs> the, this is the escape hatch portion of uh, <laughs> of the episode. But my favorite part, this is where we get to know a little bit more about our guests. So Joey, what are you up to these days musically? Where can people find you? Anything that you want to share in the world of Joseph Joey Leffitz, <laughs> the floor is yours. Oh, man. What, what are you up to, man? I should have been more prepared for that. So, um, I, you know, you can catch me playing with various people around LA these days. Mm -hmm. Um, I am also producing some music under the name Jay Leff. You, uh, you can find some of that stuff wherever stuff is streaming. Just released a track with a guy named Creston, uh, called Holiday. So it's Jay Leff and Creston. The song's called Holiday. You can check that out. And yeah, just uh, you know, just uh, staying busy, playing lots of different music around town. So that's the vibe. And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to listen to every song mentioned in this episode, be sure to check out the Spotify playlist in our show notes. Remember to visit soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. And also we've got that summer of synthwave Comtrues remix contest closing September 17th. So be sure to get your remixes of Dynetics in before then for your chance to win some incredible prizes. And of course, we would appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. A huge thanks to Joey Leffitz for joining us on this episode and being the perfect guest to break down some odd time songs. And as a special treat, we're going to play this episode out with a little snippet from the Jay Leff and Creston track, Holiday. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.